Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Today is Friday, April the 9th, and uh, we've heard the news today, the sad news that His Royal Highness, the Duke of Edinburgh, has passed away at the age of 99. So yeah. we would like to take this opportunity to send our condolences to Her Majesty the Queen and all of the royal family and all of those who who were connected to him and loved him. Yes, definitely. Really sad news. Really sad that he didn't get to his 100th birthday, which was so close. Um, and just a really sad loss, I think, for the Queen, because they've obviously been together a very long time, haven't they? And yeah. been through a lot of a lot, a lot of things together. So they've been married since 1947, which is what 73, 73 years. years last November. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, a long time to be together through a lot of stuff. So yeah, sad news. The uh, their wedding anniversary, their their wedding anniversary was, I think, the twentieth of November. I think so. Yeah, which is the day before my birthday. Toby's due date <laughs> and Jeremy Jordan's birthday. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. And um, I just remember their twenty fifth wedding anniversary, which would have been in nineteen seventy two. Yeah, uh, we had a day off school. Oh, nice. And I was very excited to have That's a day of yeah, school the day before my birthday in November. Yeah. I remember um, their 50th anniversary because it was the same year as Nan and Pop's 50th, wasn't it? And they it had was. a garden party for people who were having 50th wedding anniversaries the same year. And didn't they apply to go? And they didn't go, but they got a letter from yeah. them to say happy did, anniversary yes. because it was like the same yeah. year. As yeah, people that were married the same year. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Granny earlier, and she was uh, reminding me that Helen did the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Gold, oh, she did, didn't she? Yeah. To Gold Standard. And she actually went to the palace and was presented with her award by the Duke of Edinburgh. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, yes, again, did. our condolences to uh, to Her Majesty the Queen, and may he rest in peace. Yes, absolutely. So it was lovely to see you last weekend, Phoebe. Yes, um, it was lovely to see you as well. Lockdown has been lifted a little we can uh, have visits and we were so yes. lucky with the weather that we the weather were able was to beautiful wasn't it actually have dinner sitting outside on your on your lovely new patio area yes we did and we got to go to the beach we did to the, to the dog and toby for a little run at the beach didn't we we did and it was just nice to just hang out with each other wasn't it, it was lovely. Flesh, not yeah. <laughs> not on zoom <laughs> <laughs> for a change for the first for time in over three months yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was lovely, and hopefully we can do that again very soon. Soon, yeah, hope so. Fingers crossed. Mm. But yeah, it was good to get together. Yes, definitely, definitely. And did you see that there was a murder this week of a um, rich man in on his two million pound estate in Dorset, and they've just caught the guy in London who did it. He was like stabbed to death, and (sighs) his wife was. injured as well they think and so and they found the guy so yeah murder millionaire murder he's on the wow. times rich list so he must be worth mm. quite a lot of money so i wonder what so, the motive was i wonder yeah mm. <laughs> mm. 
Yeah. Well, um, tonight is a bit different, actually, because the okay. story I've got to tell you doesn't actually really involve any murder. Oh. Um, there's a bit of murder on the side. <laughs> um, well, that's okay. Um, but... this, is, this is dad and daughter do death, not dad and daughter do murder. So, Absolutely. Uh... And there is plenty of death. So okay. don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, no actual murder. Um, so tonight um, I'm taking you back to Russia. And I'm going to tell you about Anatoly Moskvin. Have you heard of Anatoly Moskvin? I don't believe I do. That name is not ringing any bells. Okay, cool. You might have heard about what he did. I'm not sure. Okay, but, yes. Um, <laughs> Tell me the story, didn't I? I'll tell you so. the story and it might... Jog my memory. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Anatoly Yurevich Moskvin was born on the 1st September 1966 in the Western Soviet Russian locality of Gorky, which is now known as Nizhny Novgorod. Um, is, is it the third biggest city in Russia, I think, or something like that? But it's got seven universities, which wow. it would be quite big, I think, to have that many uh, universities. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he was born to parents Yuri Fedorovich and Elvira Alexandrovna. Um, and at the start of his life was quite normal, I think, by all accounts, just the three of them living. Um, not a huge amount of information about kind of what sort of conditions they lived in, but nothing to say it was anything particularly awful. Okay. Um, now, I could only really find this in one place, um, but there's one place that says when he was about nine, he returned home um, from school, I think, and he was covered in bruises and scratches. Um and then much, much later on, kind of in adulthood, he told his parents that that was actually caused because he was raped on his way home from school. So after this day, when he came home, when something had happened, um, it caused him to become kind of somewhat reclusive and socially awkward, understandably. Um, and he never really made any friends. And if his parents ever asked him about why he didn't have any friends, he became angry. And so he just left them to get on with it. At this point, they didn't really know what had happened to him. They just saw that he'd had this change. They thought maybe it was, you know, just him growing older a bit. Um, he was a really, really bright young boy. So they thought maybe it was just his intelligence that was causing him to be a little bit antisocial. They didn't really know. Um, but it obviously could have had a bit of an impact on his later life. <laughs> so obviously that event had an impact on him um, but something that took place when he was 12 would kind of absolutely change the course of his life forever in russia in the soviet era apparently recycling was organized by the government and schools would hold compulsory competitions to see who could collect the most recycling wild <laughs> um and as it was competition children often went to places they shouldn't to try and get the most recycling um, so on the 4th of March 1979, Anatoly was looking for paper um, and he ended up at a private funeral of a little girl called Natasha Petrova. Um, and different sources say different things. Not sure whether he kind of walked in on the funeral or he was kind of passing the funeral mm -hmm. looking for this stuff. And he was kind of grabbed by the family and taken into the funeral. Um and all the adults were dressed in black robes and holding candles and singing in a foreign language, which I think now is Hungarian. Okay. Um, and then the family insisted that he went and kissed the girl who was in the coffin. And he didn't know these people. He didn't know these people. They just kind of grabbed He just off happened to be on a scavenger hunt for recycling. Yeah. <laughs> Stumbled across 
the funeral, the funeral and they dragged him in. Wow. Um, so they uh, brought him in and they insisted that he went and kissed the little girl who was in the coffin. And the mother offered him money and sweets and fruit to do so. Um, and so he later said, a woman, apparently the mother of the deceased, gave me a large Hungarian apple and kissed my forehead. She led me to the coffin and promised me a great deal of candy, oranges and money. She told me to kiss the deceased. I burst into tears and begged her to let me go, but the sectarians insisted. Everyone again sang prayers in a language I did not understand, and one of the adults drew my head to the waxy forehead of the girl in the lace cap. I had no choice but to kiss where I was ordered. After Anatoly kissed the girl three times on the forehead, as instructed, Mm -hmm. the mother presented him with a ring and placed one on the girl's finger as well and told him not to tell anyone what had happened for 40 days. Um, he left very quickly. He threw the fruit away and spent the money on a book about animals. Okay. So they'd essentially got married. Um, and actually the practice of posthumous marriage isn't common, <laughs> but it's not unheard of. Um, okay. it's, it, it happens quite famously in China. There's a, a place in China that does these kind of ghost marriages and um, it's become quite a black market for like killing people to marry them to dead people sort of thing. <laughs> um, but... It's also quite well known in France and it's recognised in law in France and also in Judaism it's practised. So with this sort of ceremony and the sort of area that it was and kind of what they were wearing, that sort of thing, it, it's not uncommon. It's not it's not unreasonable to think that they could have been Jewish. And this is a kind right. of Jewish yeah. ceremony taking place um, to kind of marry him to this dead girl. And, and they were both around around the same age? They were both around the same age, about 12, yeah. About 12. The encounter is cited in several different places. Um, so we can be quite confident that it took place. Um, and it obviously had a very big impact on his future and his career. Um, as a bit of a side note here, and there's some places that say that he reported that after this marriage, yeah. Natasha, who he'd never made life... Um, used to visit him in his dreams and tell him to do things like go and visit her village. Um, and she was apparently really keen to teach him all about black magic. Um, but Anatoly didn't want to do these things. So Natasha got bored of trying to persuade him to do these things. And she asked him to perform this ritual to pass his burden on to somebody else. So he did this ritual, which involved sealing a tooth of a classmate um, and then she never bothered him again. <laughs> but he did continue to visit her grave quite regularly. Uh, and this um, was these were messages that were coming to him in his dreams. Yes. Okay. Yes, from his dead bride who he'd never met in, right. real, uh, in life. And, and as far as you know, did he ever have any other contact with the family? Not as far as I'm aware, no. But he did used to go and visit, visit her grave quite regularly, so I don't okay. know if he ever kind of bumped into them there. But... Um, after he'd done this ritual, that was it. He kind of never, never heard from her again. Obviously, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, I don't know how true that is <laughs> as a thing with her coming to him in a dream. I don't know whether it's just something that he said. Um, you'll, you'll come to see that he's quite a disturbed man, so it could have just been part of his condition. I don't know, but um, yeah, worth bearing in mind that I, that's the sort of place that his head's at for okay. this whole situation. Yep. So bear that in mind. <laughs> Um, so however true this might be, one thing is certain um, that Anatoly developed a real deep interest in the occult, in black magic, um, 
in death, in burials and in cemeteries in general. So his life went on. He went to university in Moscow and he studied in the philological faculty of languages and he learned how to speak 13 different languages. 13. So he, 13, wow. yeah. So he was a really clever, well, he is a really clever man, he's still alive. Um, he uh, could, yeah, he could speak 13 languages and he actually translated part of the Russian to English dictionary. He's in the actual dictionary as um, one of the translators. He was fascinated in Celtic history and folklore, and he became really well known in academic circles as a very intelligent, learned sort of man. Okay. He wrote a lot of articles um, and papers and books, and he did quite a lot of journalism as well. Um, He continued his interest in cemeteries, and he began to study more and more about burial, ritual, and the occult, and just kind of becoming a real expert in that field. He had over 60,000 books in his personal library, which is quite a lot of books, as well as a large Russian doll collection. Um, And his fellow academics described him as both a genius but eccentric. Um, Not an uncommon description, I don't think, for genius people. (laughs) Oh, no. No, indeed. So outside of work, he lived um, a very secluded life. He never married or dated anyone. He stayed completely celibate and lived with his parents. So um, and I'm, I'm guessing at that point, this ritual posthumous marriage that he seems to have gone through had no legal bearing whatsoever. I don't think so, no. no. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a spiritual or symbolic yeah. thing. Yeah, I think yeah. to kind of make sure that she wasn't passing into the afterlife alone, which tends right. to be the kind of reason for why people do it. Or a financial thing, but more of that kind of, yeah, ritual. Not they're, they're not passing on alone sort of thing. Yeah. So he didn't drink or smoke and he spent his life just studying and researching, really. Um, and just being at home with his parents. Um, it was well known how interested in the dead he was. Um, and he described himself as a necropolist. So like an expert in the death. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe like a necrophile. Yeah. Um, in 2005, Oleg... Roabov, um, who was another academic from one of the universities that he worked at in Nizhny Novgorod, um, he commissioned Anatoly to summarise and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries, um, which were in 40 regions of the Nizhny Novgorod region. Um, so it's a lot of cemeteries for mm-hmm. a city. So Nizhny Novgorod is about one, has about 1.2 million population at the time of this. So Where's a similar sort of size to that? 1.2 million? Oh, gosh. Birmingham? Birmingham? I was thinking kind of Birmingham. <laughs> I'm not sure kind of like, yeah, I just think so. Same that. sort of size of, as, of Birmingham and those kind of surrounding areas. And Yeah. Yeah. So um, the idea was that he was going to go around and um, basically catalogue all these cemeteries so they'd have a better idea of who was there, what the kind of death rates were, a lot of records that had been kept um, had been destroyed or there was very bad record keeping in the Soviet era. They also wanted to start looking at kind of death instances in children and kind of what infant mortality rate was like after the Chernobyl incident. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, they sent, they, they wanted to do this research, to just kind of find out about these people. Um, so between 2005 and 2007, Anatoly went on foot to inspect the 752 cemeteries. Um, he walked up to 20 miles a day. It's like Richard's new job. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And according to him, he drank from puddles and spent nights in haystacks or in the cemeteries themselves. Um, Even spending one night in a coffin, which has been prepared for a funeral, apparently. (laughs) I guess it was dry, comfy. Yeah. Um, He was often stopped and questioned by the police, but he was, you know, there for a perfectly legitimate reason. So he never got into trouble. Um, The work was never published, but apparently it was priceless, kind of this information that he got. Um, and it okay. uncovered information on over a thousand people that had just been lost otherwise there wasn't any other record of them anywhere else um, he did publish some of the findings in the Nizhny Novgorod Worker during 2008 which is like a newspaper that he, he was a journalist for um, so on the 24th of January 2011 there was a terrorist attack at the Domodotivo National Airport um, I'd never heard of this. So 37 people died and 173 people were injured. Um, and a jihadist group claimed responsibility for it. So shortly after this, there was a real spate in Muslim graves being desecrated in Nizhny. Um, and this actually followed on from reports of graves that had been desecrated um, going back to 2009. So for the last kind of couple of years, there have been more and more reports of of graves being kind of dug up and blessed with. Okay, yeah. Um, So on the 2nd of November 2011, Anatoly was actually arrested because he was painting over pictures of um, the dead Muslims on on their gravestones. So there was pictures of them, they were painting over it, and he was kind of doing something with names as well. I think like scribbling names out of stuff which is illegal because that's a hate crime. Um, So he was arrested um, and the police went to search his house to see if he had any kind of extremist things going on there that they um, needed to... Yeah, yeah, look look into, yeah. When they got to his house, that he still shared with his parents, so he's still living with his parents at this point, um, they found a house that was full of stuff, um, the 60,000 books, full of papers, just general the hoarderiness and they found these 29 uh dolls that were human sized um they were dressed in women's clothes and they were painted with this crude makeup some of them had music boxes in their chest that enabled them to speak and then some had eyes like made out of buttons or toys okay and as they looked at them further they realized that they weren't dolls but they were the mummified remains of 29 girls who were aged between 3 and 30 that he'd been collecting over the last few years on his trips through the graveyards okay so he was obviously very quickly arrested um, because he had a house full of dead bodies and his parents were hospitalised because they both had like heart attacks and from the stress of what had just happened. Um, and they still claim to this day they had absolutely no idea about what he was doing. They used to go away for quite long periods of time and they just thought he had this hobby of like making these really awful dolls because um, they're really horrific. <laughs> um, just And they thought it was just an extension of his earlier hobby of collecting Russian dolls. So every single doll that they found was found to contain the mummified remains of young girls who'd had who'd suffered kind of tragic or often violent deaths. He stuffed the bodies and then dressed them in clothes he found um, and made their made their faces. Um, and he knew all of their names and their histories and all the circumstances around their deaths. So the first body he dug up was in May 2003 after he told his parents he wanted to adopt a daughter and they wouldn't let him. They said, well, no, you can't adopt a child. (laughs) 
um by this point he kind of left the university there was some sort of animosity there and he was just working kind of hand to mouth as a journalist but 2003 be something like 36 37 yeah all right so he's no kid anymore no um and so he but he he wanted a child he wanted a daughter um and they wouldn't let him adopt one so he decided that he would resurrect a dead girl with this black magic that he knew about and these kind of occult traditions he dug up this body in may 2003 and he said about this kind of first body that he dug up the coffin was covered with crimson synthetic matter with a chisel i hollowed out a hole in the lid of the coffin at the head of the bed and through it i pulled out what was left of the body it was in very poor condition the girl was dressed in a white blouse black skirt old tights and shoes the child had long hair then i decided for the first time to try and mummify it i moved the body to a remote corner of the cemetery and buried it in the abandoned grave of some grandmother to properly mummify the body you need soda and salt in various proportions i bought these substances in the store I found old stockings in the garbage dump and made bags from them, pouring soda and salt into them and tied them to the remains. I changed these bags once a week. If people paid attention to me, I said I was there to feed the birds. On July the 25th, 2003, I wrapped the body in different clothes and carried it back to my home in my backpack. Within two days, I restored the body. I stuffed rags inside. Then I sewed the body with threads and made a wax mask on her face, then covered it with nail polish, which I found in the trash. After that, I put on her clothes, which I also found in the trash. Wow. Yeah. So whilst in custody awaiting trial, he he cooperated with the police. Um, he detailed the cemeteries the, body did, the bodies had come from, um, as well as supplying the names of all the girls he'd exhumed. And he'd taken really detailed notes of all of them. Um, and there's no evidence or record of anything that was there was ever anything sexual that went on here. It was purely he just wanted to kind of look after these girls or he was trying to kind of bring them back to life essentially so he said the thing is i'm practicing black magic i wanted to revive them i felt sorry for these children who could still live a life i kept them so that when science learns to fight cancer it can later revitalize them genetics are developing now very rapidly i felt sorry for all these children Um, I'm an expert in Celtic studies and studying Celtic culture. I noticed that the Druids had a tradition of communicating with the spirits of the deceased by sleeping on graves. When I studied the culture of the peoples of Siberia, specifically the culture of the ancient Yakuts, there too, I found a similar practice. I also began to sleep on the graves of children who liked me. The spirits of the deceased children came to me. Accordingly, I checked whether it was demons that came or whether it was spirits. I collected all the information I could. Then, if possible, I checked this information. I was convinced that the spirits of the dead children really came to me. At first, I slept on the graves. Then I adjusted because it was not convenient to sleep there. Instead, I carried the bodies where it would be convenient for me to sleep on them. I began to dry them and bring them home. This was done very cleverly and slowly, one at a time, so nobody knew about it. I studied the theory and technology of mummification from all available books, I studied the ancient Egyptian scripts. I went to Moscow especially to study the whole thing. I talked with them. We had a hierarchy, our own language. We had respectively our songs. We had our own holidays. We had our own inner peace. My parents saw almost nothing of this and I did not let anyone else into this world. As a rule, my parents left the house for summer, leaving in April and returning in October. At this time, we were engaged in this world. I guess I really explored all that I could explore in this area of black magic. 
to be honest, I had my favourite children. I plan to keep my beloved children home in any case. Those that I like less, I plan to take them to the garage and they lived there in the garage. <laughs> so we had okay. these like ones that he liked and ones that he didn't and they had to stay in the garage. Um, I did not disfigure them, did not dismember them. I applied all of my work gently, affectionately, politely. I even tried not to swear in front of these children. <laughs> Wow. Um, the fact is that I suffered very much from loneliness, especially during the summer period when my parents were not there and when they took the cat. So he says, I sat them down. They had holes drilled under their eyes. I showed cartoons to them. I played children's songs. I myself sang songs to them. Ordinary children's songs that I would sing if I had a live daughter. After that, we ate together. Or rather, I ate. I just offered them food. Because... <laughs> They were dead. Um, yeah. I've been studying child psychology for about 10 years, preparing for the upbringing of a child. I've experienced of communicating with living children from my tutoring. What I would do with living children, I would do with these. I treated them as if they were alive. They were just temporarily dead. I bet they didn't have very many tantrums. No. Yes, I realised it was <laughs> illegal. But at the time, when the heroes of our science... When they were experimenting with fruit flies somewhere in their closet, they also knew that was illegal under the laws of Stalin's time. It was just then that genetics was banned. Now cloning is prohibited. From the very beginning, I knew that I was committing a crime, um, but I was so sorry for the children that unfortunately cloning is prohibited in our country. It will be allowed sooner or later. I just wanted some material for future cloning so that these children could live for a second time. I was very sorry for these children. Naturally, every time I dug a grave, I levelled it so that nothing could be seen, so as not to disturb those who were relatives. The fact is that for 10 years, this was kept a secret, so I knew that none of the relatives of the deceased would ever know about this. I did everything neatly. I was not arrested at a cemetery. The MVD came to me on quite another matter and accidentally found the dolls. Nobody knew what I made these dolls from. Even my parents did not know. Um, and so he would also have like birthday parties for the girls because he knew yeah. when their birthdays were. He would like celebrate special occasions with them. Um, he'd like have them in dinner parties. And if people came around for dinner, like with his parents or like family members, he'd just kind of keep them in the party. But I don't think I think some of them smelt a little bit. But I think because he tried to kind of mummify them, they didn't really smell. And because the house is full of just so much stuff anyway, and it was kind of hoardery people just kind of put it down to that like well it just smells a bit because the house is just full of so much stuff um so the first girl that he stole was called olga chardomova and she was 10 so one day she asked to walk the one block to her grandmother's house um okay. and her mother let her but unfortunately she was attacked by a drug dealer on the way who stole her earrings and because she tried to escape um he cracked her over the head with a metal bar and killed her and But her body wasn't actually found for five months. And when it was, what? it was wedged behind some pipes in a block of flats, um, along with, like, all her stuff. So when they found her, they obviously buried her. Um, and that was in October 2002. And then it was her body in May 2003 that he dug up. And they said that they'd gone to... Um, paint a fence that they put up around the grave and they thought that somebody had been there because something had been moved um okay. but they weren't really sure and then not long after that they started finding these notes that were left on the grave which were signed from da which stood for dobry angle which meant kind angel and it's how anatoly Mosfin described himself to her so the notes were like congratulations on like christmas and birthdays um, the start of the school year and then he'd write as if she was still alive so like it's your first day of seventh grade today sort of thing even though she was dead um 
And mm. as soon as Natalia found out about all the dolls that had been found at the bodies, she said to the police, I think you need to dig up my this grave because I we we want to exhume this coffin to see what's going on. And when they did and she wasn't the body wasn't in there. And so from all the notes that he'd taken from the beginning, the police were able to tell Natalia um, and Igor, her husband, that Olga was taken in May 2003 when they wow. first noticed something had gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and they'd been going to the grave for all that time and she wasn't there. And she, Natalia said, I still find it hard to grasp the scale of his sickening work. But for nine years, um, she he was living with my mummified daughter in his bedroom. I'd had her for 10 years and he'd had her for nine, which is pretty terrifying. So he was yeah. charged in 2011 under Article 244 of the Criminal Code for the desecration of graves and dead bodies. Um, a charge which carried up to five years in prison, which isn't okay. really a very long time, is it? Um, originally, he was also accused of defacing the graves of the Muslims, but they, um, yeah. they dropped that charge, actually. Okay. Um, after psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia, which probably isn't a surprise. Um, and in a hearing in May 2012, they said that he was unfit to stand trial um, okay. and they released him from any criminal liability. And instead, he was sentenced to coercive medical measures. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it sounds quite sinister, especially yeah. thinking that it's Russia. <laughs> so <laughs> He was taken to a psychiatric clinic with his stay to be reviewed regularly um, in 2013. They said he needed to stay a bit longer. In 2014, 2015, they um, reviewed it and they said, no, he needs to stay a bit longer as well. Okay. Um, in 2014, they said, you know, he's, he's still not fit for trial. They're just going to keep him there. In 2018, his doctors stated that he was no longer dangerous and they petitioned mm -hmm. for him to be released um, for outpatient care at home. Okay. Um, However, in 2019, a subsequent evaluation found that it was too early to release him and that he should stay there. So they withdrew their position, their petition. So um, he's still there. He's still in right. psychiatric care, um, undergoing these, you know, fairly regular reviews. But, you know, to all intents and purposes, as soon as they think that he's recovered, he's just going to go home and carry on his life um wow. and like the last russian case i did um he has also managed to find love whilst in jail okay um, and he's engaged to a lady who came to his trial and they plan to marry as soon as he's released from the hospital well they'll be able to get on with their life because he's only what is he in his 50s 66 well yeah be 55 so this year yeah yeah wow so yeah that is so, the story of anatoly moskvin so, so just going back over the timeline yeah when the police raided the house they found how many of these dolls 29 and he'd collected them all between 2003 which is the first one yeah and 2011 i think just Through over that to time. 2011 and they think that he actually desecrated up to about 150 graves somewhere else that i read it said that he used to go through the obituary pages and read it and um see if there was like someone who like called to him through the obituaries and then he'd go to the funerals and find them and stand there and watch them and then sleep on the graves and then if they kind of or lie on the graves and if they kind of talk to him through the graves and he'd go back and dig them up and take them back home with him okay 
but it's quite a significant amount of bodies for him to be able to kind of dress yeah, her, um, yeah, and yeah. up and take to his house without being caught. And if he did successfully mummify them so that they didn't mm. decompose any further, wow, yeah. And I think but, in one of them, there was like a heart in one of them when they kind of did an autopsy on it. And um, there was all sorts of bits from the cemetery and all sorts of like personal belongings and stuff that he'd like kind of put inside these dolls, um, like jewellery and stuff like that. The mind boggles. I mm. mean, all of their innards would still be inside them. I think it depended on what sort of kind of state of decomposition. Because I was thinking that about like, Olga. So if she'd been missing for five months, yeah, I mean, she can't have been in a very good state where she was. They can't buried, have been much left she? of her. So that's probably why he had to like kind of essentially build a body around her. So I wonder what he actually kind of mummified because there probably wasn't much left of her. But then if there was people who were kind of fresher that he was digging up, that would have taken more mummification. Mummification, yeah. Wow. essentially kind of like drying them out like meat. Creepy. Yeah, really creepy. And he was like a really clever man who had like a proper job and he wasn't, he didn't just like, you know, he he worked and all that sort of stuff. And then he was just doing this on the side, like collecting all these bodies of people. And what just that thought of like the body of your loved ones in someone else's house, not, in the ground where you thought they were and I know. Yeah. however respectful he was to them it's still not where you'd want them to be is it no so like I said no real murder but um, no. plenty of death and still yeah quite mm-hmm. um, like you said quite a disturbing story really about yeah. these bodies and that, that experience when he was 12 may well have had a had an effect on him yeah I think so. That whole kind of being presented with a dead girl, essentially, when you're 12, and um, yeah, how be yeah how being presented with with death and a dead body at such a young age, and what sort of impact that has on you as you grow up. Creepy. So, right. Yeah, yeah, really creepy. But I think you know they returned all the bodies to the. They haven't ident like haven't publicly identified all of them, but they okay. returned them all to the families, and they've all been you know reburied. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. So there you go. That's the story of <laughs> Anatoly Moskvin, which is a bit different, and uh, it is yeah, indeed, yeah, quite a quite a horrific story, really. But it, I it thought is. It's a bit different, yeah. Um, and yeah, just something a bit different. Okay. Well, maybe he will be released yeah. from prison one day. I have no idea. I remember when Who I knows? first read about it, and just being like. It was a few years ago when I first read about it. I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, like, how is this a thing? I know, yeah. And I totally forgot about it. And then I think it's yeah. because last week when we talked about mummifying and yeah, I remembered yeah. the mummifying in this and I was like, I'm going to do that next week. <laughs> and it was, it was good because I kind of remember it, but it was it was interesting to kind of do that dive into it about, like, kind of what happened to him when he was younger and yeah. how that could have had an impact on him but to, I, I do think that death is fascinating though isn't it and you know graves and that whole burial ritual and what people mm-hmm. think what happens in the afterlife and stuff like that I think it is fascinating so I see why he would find that interesting I, I wouldn't want to go and start digging up 
a grave. But also, yeah. how fit must he have been to be able to like dig up a grave, get a body out, and like be carry it deep. home? Yeah. In his backpack. Yeah. Oh. After yeah. he'd mummified them, so he mummified yeah. them in the corner of the cemetery, which nobody discovered. Yeah. Well, in, a, in someone else's grave. That's, and I yeah. think as well, because he kind of had like a legitimate reason to be in these cemeteries for such a long time. So if police had stopped mm-hmm. him and said, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just here working. They probably just left collecting him alone after a bit, collecting these records. So yeah. actually that gave him the perfect... And he'd started doing it before he was doing this, but he'd started taking the bodies before he started taking the doing records. Doing the records. Wow. But that kind of gave him a real... A real reason mm-hmm. to be in there so no wonder he was so happy to spend so much time wandering around the graveyards yeah I, it's kind of body snatching and mm. some yeah. sort of weird fantasy he was living out and it's, yeah, yeah. That, that is probably one of the most bizarre stories I've heard yeah <laughs> yeah uh, yeah really bizarre that is bizarre wow yeah um but there was there's videos and there's pictures, like I said. Oh, and I don't think I mentioned that actually. Like, so like that one I, I sent you in the purple dress, if their faces had kind of like started to go, he used to just put like tights over their head. Okay. To like kind of hold their features in a bit. <laughs> so like, so the one who's in like the red. Yeah. That's Olga. The first one. Yeah. He's in the 101 Dalmatians hoodie. So I presume you'll be putting these pictures onto a I will. social media account. I'll, I'll put like a warning on them so people don't... Um, I mean, what are the parents of these these children thinking about their pictures being out there? I know, yeah. Olga's parents, I think, are quite um, like vocal about it, about the whole situation. So, yeah, they kind of talk about it a bit. But I just don't know how he got away with it for such a long time with so many of them. I think that's the thing that I find most alarming, just like how many girls he managed to kind of get hold of. And and there was a thing I read as well that he'd um the families had asked him to apologize. Um and he'd refused to apologize for it because he said that basically the families had left these children out in the cold. And he was looking after them. And basically he was doing a better job. And um, I'm sure it was this family that um, I read about. And they all, some families ordered him to like pay out some money. And one dad said, I don't want his money because he looked after my daughter better than I did. Because he said that he'd been a really bad dad. And he'd actually like taken this girl and looked after her and okay. like made her. So, so many layers to it as a story yeah (laughs) there are a lot of layers there a lot of layers i mean what are we what is stopping anybody going to a graveyard and digging up oh i mean nothing really (laughs) having having watched several episodes of exhumed now i mean the lengths have to go to to get a coffin out the ground it's it's huge so for him to do that just in the middle of the night or whenever yeah, uh, yeah. As you say, it's quite, quite a feat. Yeah, and I think as <laughs> well, if nothing else. Yeah, but like, you know, Sorry. the other kind of, you know, the Alexander Pushushkin case, 
the things that he was getting away with and the police just kind of just turned a blind eye because they were like yeah whatever um and I think that was kind of sort of what happened in this area as well them just saying oh yeah this weird guy in a cemetery let him get on with it yeah yeah and they didn't really kind of think and he was quite meticulous and he was quite careful with what he was doing so it's not like he was leaving wide open graves and I guess that's the thing isn't it yeah you once it's in the ground you have no idea what happens to it someone could come and dig it up and then just put the ground back in and then it's it's interesting what you say about the police turning a blind eye because I think there's been a couple of things that have come to my attention that sometimes the police and the legal system will go out of its way or not try too hard this week we've had the sad case of Richard de Corrigay whose whose body was sadly found in a pond quite close to home I think wasn't it in the end I think that's really sad um and the fact that like the police kind of said oh we can't do anything to help and compared to like the response to when Sarah Everard went missing yeah very similar situation like two young people kind of walking home and the fact that he was just kind of ignored yeah. so they didn't have the time to look for him which was just awful yeah uh definitely a problem there i think yeah that is very sad but also i was watching one of those i am a murderers on oh, yeah. netflix and it was the one where a youngish girl was accused of murdering this bloke that had kidnapped her and well, i've not seen that one tried to rape her um she come from a pretty disturbed background and she was only like 19 or something when this event right. happened and her story of events is that they were going to go out somewhere but instead he took her back to her flat which is in a different state to where she lived and oh, as okay. we know in america problems yeah. occur if you go across state lines and all that business and he was yeah basically trying to rape her and everything and she did have a gun on her Right. For personal protection, yeah. and she shot him. He didn't die immediately, but he did after a while. She managed to steal his car and drive away. She was arrested, and they were pushing and pushing and pushing her to confess and say, if you confess to this, you'll get a lighter sentence than if you go to trial, and if you're found guilty, you'll probably get life without parole and and, and this sort of business. And they were said in this program that in 97% of cases, they get a confession. Oh, wow. Okay. And only 3% go to trial. Wow. And they do it by offering these deals. Yeah. By saying, look, if you confess, uh, we'll give you a a lighter sentence and we'll just do it for manslaughter rather than murder or secondary rather than first degree and all that business. But if you go to trial, you'll lose and you'll go to... So they, they really coerce these people who know that they're in trouble but they can so as a result of doing that only three percent actually go to trial and this woman it was under the da or some some legal counsel in the state said well if 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 any more than the three percent actually went to trial we just couldn't cope the system just just collapsed because there's no way that they could try all those people so um I don't know if you've got to this part in the book that we're both reading, and there's this man who was strangled to death by his girlfriend. Um, and have you read yeah. that bit? And she yeah. claimed that it was self-defense, and then the pathologist has said it wasn't. He was too drunk, and yeah. the wounds that she had on it were self-inflicted. self-inflicted. They weren't. They didn't yeah. come from him. Um, she 
it wasn't self-defense she murdered him in cold blood yeah. but because she was like a pretty mm-hmm. young girl um and played a good part she got off with it <laughs> yeah um even though the pathologist saying it didn't happen like that yep yeah. yeah they said the uh the wounds were self-inflicted weren't they yeah it couldn't have been him that did it and yeah um... and the way that he there was if she have strangled him in self-defense there'd have been a mark the, the, all the, the way, way around his neck, but it yeah. was only on one part. It was only like the front As of his neck. she just like crushed his neck yeah. with something, yeah. Like kind of held him up, like if he was lying on his front sort of thing, rather than kind of crossing it around his neck to strangle him. So, yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So um, oh, yeah. will you be, you'll be putting some of those pictures onto... I will, yes. I'll make sure there's... I don't know if I'll put any on Facebook. I might direct people to Instagram to find those places that might take them down. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> and as I know, yeah, you probably don't want to be scrolling through your timeline and just come across them, do you? Because so, <laughs> they're a bit creepy. They're quite creepy to look at. It's like, oh, my goodness me. Um, but, yeah. yeah, a bizarre story. I think a sad story but just really creepy as well. Mm. So, yeah. Definitely creepy. Very creepy, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yes, we now have a Facebook page. We now have a Facebook page, yes. Dad and Daughter Do Death. Yes. And we're still on Instagram. Dad and Daughter, daughter Do, Do Death. Death. And then email is dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. And then this week we're on Spotify as well. Yeah. So come and find us on spotify if you've not seen us yeah. anywhere <laughs> all of our episodes are on spotify yes and um if you are enjoying this if you like it please do drop us a, a rating or a review or a suggestion for anything you'd like us to cover or look into we're we're happy to take uh, take requests <laughs> indeed yep we are. we'll we'll do our best in the meantime to... we'll well yeah keep on researching interesting and more obscure British and European cases. Yes, I'll try and find something maybe less disturbing for next time. All right. And move out of Russia. <laughs> yes, you've got to think about Russia at the moment. Haven't you? Yeah, they're just crazy, crazy cases. <laughs> I, I was going to try and find something other than British because my last two have been British, but I yeah. think uh, my next one is also going to be British. There you go. I'll try and find another European. Actually, I was going to do an Icelandic one this week. Oh, yeah. And then I remembered about... Um, this case and i thought no i'll do that one so okay no, i might do good. the icelandic one next time oh, i'm glad you have yeah i'm glad you told me about this one it's a really interesting story it is, yeah <laughs> fascinating story i think like on so many levels all about the kind of spiritual ghost marriage and yeah. the, then the whole traditions that he got into and then the stealing the bodies and the practicalities of that and then what he did with the bodies and the fact that he managed to kind of keep them hidden for such a long time and just lived with them and just waiting to bring them back to life and he's just overall belief that science would be good enough to bring them all back to life one day so thank you very much phoebe for on our 10th episode telling me about anatoly moscovin you're welcome i hope Um, it's not been too disturbing for you (laughs) No, I'll have something a little more gentle for you next week. <laughs> Thank you. A 1950s British murder. How exciting. Or four. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so until then, everybody have a good week and join us again when once again, Dad. And daughter, do death.